your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. I've had an unusually difficult time this last week in trying to figure out what to preach this morning. And uh, at first I thought it'd be in Mother's Day I would preach a message about model mothers from, from the book of Titus. And then I thought, well, maybe I ought to preach a message called uh, A Model for Mothers, using the example of Mary. And uh, I actually prayed, Lord, uh, let me preach something that, uh, that won't cause our mothers to feel like uh, a failure and leave here battered and bruised. And, you know, sometimes we forget, we forget what Mother's Day is about and... Uh, we, we oftentimes, we preachers I'm talking about, we oftentimes uh, think uh, that's a great occasion to really get them straightened out, you know. And so instead of encouraging them, why, uh, they leave there feeling like they've been beaten up. And so uh, I, I could almost say I just about argued with God this week about what, what I really wanted to preach, but... Uh, preachers understand exactly what I'm trying to say. Uh, it, you know, sometimes we make it sound so easy. We say something like, well, you know, God laid this on my heart. And if we really be honest, sometimes, no, he didn't. It's just what we wanted to preach. You know, I mean, that happens. I, we're just human. And, and that happens sometimes. But I am really convinced that this is the message that that God wanted me to bring today. And hopefully... Hopefully it will uh, help each mother to be honored and to find help at the same time. Here in 2 Kings chapter 4 in the first seven verses we see a message to mothers. Uh, This message is of particular interest to me because several years ago, it might have been the first time I preached this, I, I, I can't remember that far back, but I do remember Bev commenting that I think that's my favorite message that you've ever preached. And there was a reason for that. And by the way, today I think in in all of these 60 years is the first time that we've not been able to be in church together on Mother's Day. And she is still home recovering and and we, we... just pray for she uh, her heart is here she wants to be here but we feel it's best uh, that she not be here now I said that this particular message was special to her and to me for a reason because uh, of the fact that it has to do with God supplying the needs of those that that are striving to please him and it was a time in our life where we were going through great difficulty uh, I just started a, a church uh, in Fairgrove, Missouri, and uh, well, we didn't have a building. All we had was a uh, was a little plot of ground and a brush arbor that we had built out of the logs that was there on the property, and we didn't have hardly anything. Wondering how we we're going to feed our kids, pay our bills, and all of that, and yet God miraculously supplied our every need, and that's what this deals with here in this story that we'll look at in just a moment. The story begins here with a woman doing what what mothers do by nature, and that is experiencing and expressing concern for her children. 
But the question is, well, who looks out for mothers? Who looks out for them? We want to honor them. We want to help them. And yet all of us know that we are limited in what we can do for our mothers. We can't supply all of their needs. It's impossible. You know, just about every husband learns sooner or later that it's just natural for women at times to have a crying spell. And the first few times that it happens, it scares you to death. You don't know whether getting ready to sue for divorce or uh, run off, or you don't know what in the world is going to happen. But women are wise enough to let the steam out once in a while, and they just there's times that they just need to cry. Probably some of us fellows would uh, learn a good lesson if we learned to cry more than what we do. But uh, it's natural for them to look out for their children and to, and, and to be heavy-hearted when they see their children in need. Only God can meet all of the needs of a mother or anybody else. And so today I want to remind you that if you are a child of God, you are never without the aid of the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the one who has all power in heaven and earth, the one who created the universe, the one who is in control of everything. And I say that because I want you to leave here today with the confidence that God will supply your needs and that you're able to do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. At a time like this, we need a hope like that. And in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it tells us clearly that this story and all of the stories of the Old Testament, all of them were written that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures that we might have hope. And I hope you'll find that hope here today. Verse number 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the, in, the, in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. And then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all of thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shall pour out into all of those vessels that thou hast set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There's not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Think about it. Think about what a great lesson there is here 
for us. Here in this story, we see sorrow, we see a shortage of supplies, and yet we see a God who is able to meet the needs of this woman and of her two sons. Verse 1 speaks about the emergency. emergency in her life and we all have emergencies things that we don't expect the things that happen when all of a sudden we get the props knocked out from under us and we feel like chicken little crying that the sky is falling and our whole world is turned upside down and we find ourselves in an emergency and that's where she's at and when we come to a place like that we need to analyze the situation And as we analyze this emergency, we see three things. Number one, we see death. That has to do with things we can't change. There are going to be some things happen in your life that you can't change and God won't change. There's death, but there's debt. That has to do with obligations that we can't meet. And then there's desperation. That has to do with questions that we can't answer. She, at this point, she doesn't, she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what the solution is. She, she, you know, doesn't have some magical means whereby that she can just all of a sudden produce what she needs to, to pay her debt. But notice what she did as she announced the emergency to the man of God, it says that she cried, and that's a very strong Hebrew word that's translated cried there. It means to weep uncontrollably. So she is fervently crying out, as it were, unto the Lord. She's being frank about it. She's not living in denial. She could have said, I'll get through this with positive thinking. I'll just, I'll just imagine in my mind that I don't have a problem and that everything is okay. But that never changes the situation. Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book, The Power of Positive Thinking, many years ago. But we need a whole lot more than the power of positive thinking. You can, you can think positive thoughts and be just as wrong as you can be. We've got to be honest about our problems. Her husband is dead and the debt can't be paid and the boys are about to be sent into bondage. So she doesn't hold anything back as she announces her problem here. But whenever we look at a story like this, we need to do more than to just look at it from the historical standpoint and to think about that poor woman. We need to make an application to our lives because we've all got problems that we can't solve. We've got needs that we can't meet, things that we can't change, questions that we can't answer. That's true of everyone. This woman, who, by the way, was a preacher's wife, and surely she was maybe wondering, well, why in the world did this happen to me? I don't find any indication that she had been out of the will of God. I, mean, I don't find any indication that her husband had been out of the will of God. He was one of the sons of the prophets. He was a servant to Elisha. I mean, here is a man of God, and yet all of a sudden he is dead, and she's left there with the two boys. Surely she must have wondered, why did this happen to me? Why did it happen to me now? 
And by the way, that's a question that we all have sooner or later. Sooner or later, things happen in our life that we cannot possibly understand. But we've got to deal with it in some way or another. And we see, look at verse 2, we see the inquiry that is made here. Elisha said unto her, aren't you glad that God leaps into action? Elisha said unto her, this is a word from the Lord through the prophet. What shall I do for thee? Now notice, this is the appeal. He's asked, he asked two questions. He says, what shall I do for thee? Remember, so far, she's only related her problem. She hasn't made any request up to this point. She hasn't asked for anything up to this point. She just said, I've got a problem and this is what it is. And now the prophet is demanding that she be definite and detailed. What is the problem? What is it that you really need? And so many times we make the mistake of just thinking about our problem instead of thinking about uh, the entirety of the situation. So he asked another question. He said, what hast thou in the house? Now keep in mind that her mind is upon what she had lost. She's thinking about, in other words, she's thinking about what I used to have and what I don't have. And Elisha is changing her perspective. What do you have? And if we're honest, there's a lot of times that we get focused on what we don't have instead of what we do have. We think about what we lost instead of what we've got. And we need to take an inventory and review our resources. If we're really honest, Every Christian here, if you're really honest, you'd have to admit, I don't have a thing in the world to complain about. Now, I can think of a lot of things that, you know, that, that if, you know, given the ability to change things, things I would change. I don't want any of my loved ones to be sick. I don't want to see people suffer. I don't want people go through hardships and difficulties. I, you don't want that? Of course not. But we know that it's going to happen, and if we're not careful, we'll get so focused on that, we'll forget about the fact that in reality we don't deserve anything, and therefore we ought to be content with whatever God chooses to give us. Focus on what we do have, our resources. Now, here's the answer, verse 2. He said, what hast thou in thine house? She says, not anything. So you know what direction her mind is going in, right? Not anything, save, except for a pot of oil. So apparently she has lost everything else except her sons and this pot of oil. But that pot of oil is significant because that word pot there refers to an oil flask. It's a flask containing oil that was used in anointing. Remember, her husband has been one of the sons of the prophets. And this was the anointing oil that no doubt that was in that, 
in that flask. And so whenever we hear the word pot, we think about, you know, some big five, ten gallon barrel of something. But no, all she has is a little flask of oil here. It's a sacred object. Because it contains the oil, a type of the Holy Spirit. But at this point, it has been slighted. It's as though she forgot all about it. And he says, what do you have in the house? And she says, not anything. Oh yeah, I've got that flask of oil that my husband used to use. And that became a saving object in the sense that it contained enough that it was all she needed. In other words, whatever she had, however, however small it was, that was all she needed because it was from that little bit of oil that she received everything that she had. And even so, God's able to meet our needs. Like an old song from many years ago says, little is much when God is in it. Oh, how true that is. When God is in it, God can take nothing and make something out of it. He did it with the universe one day. God stepped out on a cloud of nothing and took a handful of nothing and made everything out of it. Amen. And He's still alive today and able to do that in our lives. Amen. Able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think, Paul says. Maybe some folks thinking, Brother So, I, would, I wish you'd quit making reference to that verse so often. You stop complaining so often and I'll stop making reference of it. You stop thinking about what you don't have, what you can't do, and all of the problems in the world. And I'll stop reminding you of what God can do. That's where our focus needs to be. That's where what we see here in the exhortation beginning in verse number 3. And I want you to notice what Elisha does. Verse 3, and then he said, you know, he could have shrugged his shoulder and said, Lady, man, you're in trouble. I've got another appointment down the road. I don't think there's anything I can do to help you. But he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all I think that word all is key. Of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. Now notice the requirement here, and there are three things that, that he is requiring. First of all, there's the provision of room. Go borrow vessels, not a few. It's kind of like saying, go get as many as you can. Her supply is going to be limited only by her faith. And then notice verse 4, he speaks about the preclusion of all other activities and associations. He says, and when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all of those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So whenever you, whenever you go out and you get the vessels, come back home, go and shut the door. Shut everything else out. Just you and the boys are there. And if we want God's blessings, there comes a time where we have to shut the door, as it were, as it were on the world and shut ourselves in with God. 
Now listen, and sometimes when we don't, God does it for us. All of a sudden, without us ever thinking it would ever happen, we find ourselves in a, in a pandemic and the authorities say, shut it down. Yeah. Stay home order issued. Can't go out unless it's an essential situation. Something about that just doesn't seem fair to us. We ought to find ourselves in a situation like that. Let me tell you, just maybe God let that happen because we needed the experience. No, I don't like it any better than you do because I'm not accustomed to that. And, and, and it, it poses great difficulties upon people. We, we don't vote for that. But we better learn to accept it if God allows it. Amen. So he says, you go in and you shut the door. And then notice, there's the pouring out of the oil. And, and the whole point of that is that we have to make use of what we have if we're to get what we need. Pour out the oil. Now remember, all she has is this little flask. And he said, I want you to pour it out. I don't know how many ounces that flask could hold. Let's say 16 ounces. Or, or let's say it holds a quart. I, you know. Oh, whenever you start filling up all of these vessels, uh, after a while, you know that's not going to, that's not going to, it's not going to go very far. So she has to use what she has, give what she has in order to get what she needs. I love the way Paul described the churches in Macedonia and how that they gave above and beyond what they were able. But, but how can you give more than you're able to give? In other words, if you had looked at the bank account, as it were, of those churches at that time, if you could see what they had, all of their material possessions at the beginning, you would look at that and you would set some limitations and say there's only so much they can do. They can go this far and no further than that. But when you look at the end product, you see that they did a lot more than was possible. How could they do that? How do you give more than you've got? You give more than you've got by giving what you have. And when you give what you have, then God some way works at giving us more than what we had. So many times people get all upset about, uh, about rich people, like you know, like... Like they must be out of the will of God, you know, because they're rich. Maybe, maybe they're rich because they're faithful to God. Maybe they're rich because they were willing to do without and to give what they had and God blessed them. Don't ever be so silly as to try to judge somebody based on what they have or what they don't have. So he says... Get alone, just you and the boys in the room, lock the door, pour out the oil. No, no, notice her verse in verse 5, her response. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons 
who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. Now, three things about her response I want you to notice. First of all, she obeyed immediately. Delay is dangerous. If God's will is best, and it is, then why would we wait? Some folks have the idea, well, you know, I know the Bible is true. I know what the preacher said is right. And I know that I need to get right with God. And someday I'm going to do that. Why not today? Why would you wait? Why would you deprive yourself of God's blessing? She obeyed immediately. And that's what we ought to do. Then she obeyed implicitly. By that I mean she followed every detail. She doesn't ask any questions. You know, she could have said, well, this just doesn't seem reasonable to me. She doesn't question his motives. She doesn't question his Methodist, his methods. She could have said, you know, you're just one of those money-hungry preachers wanting to get what I've got or made accusations against him. But she just did exactly what he said. And notice she obeyed inclusively. By that I mean she did everything she was told to do. She didn't just do part of it. She obeyed without any reservation. And that brings us to the endowment that, that is stated here in verse number 6. And it came to pass when the vessels were full. The vessels were full. God filled everything she made available. I can't help but wonder if, if she ever wished that she had gotten more. She sent the boys out on an errand, go out and borrow vessels. And they go out and they bring them in. And finally at some point they feel satisfied. But now they're all full. And I, you know, I just got to believe she thought, well, why didn't we borrow more than that? You see, what she received was in proportion to her faith. Her faith in God. God honored her faith and God honors our faith. I mentioned earlier about this message and Bev's feelings about this story. And as I said, I just started the church and I was working for, for a civil engineering firm. The church couldn't possibly pay me enough to even buy food for, for my kids. And uh, God laid it on my heart. And by the way, when I say that, He didn't just lay it on my heart. He laid it on the heart of some of our members who literally just kept saying, Brother Stone, I, I, we, we, just, we, we just think it would be God's will if you could just give all of your time to pastoring the church. I felt like saying, well, open up your pocketbooks and you know give more money and I'll be glad to. But they didn't have it. Back then we were going through all of these difficulties and every tooth in my head was rotten. I couldn't hardly preach because both jaws were so swollen up and I had abscesses and it was hurting my health and all kinds of problems. We had one poor old fella by the name of George Eagles, an Indian. And he had a little old piece of property. I think it was eight acres and he sold half of that property out there to get enough money so I could get my teeth fixed. I'm talking about a church where they were willing to do whatever they could, but they couldn't do any more than that. We prayed, Lord, is this what you really want? 
When I became convinced that, yes, God wants me. Now, remember at this point in time, we got three, four, uh, several kids. <laughs> and the church gives me what little they can. So I go into my boss, who happened to be a good friend of mine, and I told him, I said, look, he knew I pastored the church, and I said, I'm, 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 I'm resigning. Why? And I, and I explained to him the situation. I just feel like the Lord wants me to, to devote all of my time and effort to being the pastor of that church, and I can't do that working. I wasn't afraid to work. I enjoyed my job. It wasn't that. It was that God had something more important. But let me tell you, when you're a preacher's wife, and by the way, she didn't ask for that. She didn't pray one day, oh, dear Lord, give me a preacher for a husband. <laughs> At that point, she just willing to take anything because anything had been better than what she had. And uh, I get saved, and uh, a couple of months later, I surrendered to preach, and everybody thinks I've gone off the deep end. I lost my mind. And um, and here we are trying to start a church without a building, without any money, not knowing how in the world we're going to feed our kids and take care of them. And I go, you know, and tell my wife, you know, that, well, we're going to have to make do with what we got because I just resigned my job. My boss said, you've lost your mind. He said, there's no way in the world you can make it. And by the way, he was right. There wasn't any way that we could possibly make it except for the fact that that's what God wanted. Amen. And boy, whenever I think about Abraham and his great faith, you know, we always pat him on the back and kind of overlook Sarah. I, I don't know about you, but I think Sarah had as much or more faith than Abraham did at that point. To think about him coming in saying, come on, baby, we're going to be moving. And he doesn't know where or anything else about it. Just going to strike out to parts unknown. And she follows along. And I'm glad that God gave me a wife that has followed along and been there through all of the years. But, boy, that's why this story means so much. Because it is a great reminder of the fact that... We serve a God who is able to meet our needs. Am I the perfect example? Absolutely not. Don't you dare follow me and make my mistakes. I'm just telling you out of, out of the, some experiences in my life that it worked for me, it'll work for you. It works for everybody that'll do what God says. And the prophet told her what to do and she did it exactly like, like he told her to do it. And now all of the pots of oil are full. Look at verse 7. Here's the encouragement. Verse 7, notice he says here, remember her need is critical. And he says, pay thy debt. Pay that. Isn't that great? Keep this in mind. Her boys are about to be sold as it were into slavery. They can't pay their bills. Those boys are about to lose their freedom. And now it says, he says, pay thy debt. That had to do with the immediate need. God supplied the immediate need of the family. But notice, not only was the need critical, it was constant. In other words, it wasn't going to be over that day. So he says, pay thy debt, notice, and live of the rest. This is security for the future. 
God's going to take care of you now, but you'll be able to live on the rest of it. God's going to take care of you in the future. I don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. I don't understand why good people are sick. I don't understand why people get cancer and heart disease and all. I don't understand. I don't. But I know we've got a God that will bring us through it one way or the other. That He's in control and we can trust Him. Now there's one more thing about this and I don't want you to miss this. One more thing about this and the encouragement that it is. And I want you to notice it's not only a, a, a continuing need and not only a critical need, but it's a collective need. Notice this statement. Thou and thy children. Thou and thy children. In other words, others benefited from what she received. The boys benefited from what mommy received as a result of her doing what God told her to do. Let me tell you folks, listen, if others aren't blessed by our life, we have failed. We have been blessed to bless like Abraham. And we need to ask ourselves this question this morning. Will others benefit from the life that I live? Will others benefit from the life that I live? Let me tell you, if they don't, you won't. In other words, if they don't benefit from it, neither will you benefit from it in the long run. If they're not blessed as a result of you, there'll be no blessings for you. And let me tell you, none of us have the right to be anything less than all we can be. Your life is too important for you to waste it. I love what I jotted it down in my Bible, the quote many years ago, and it gave this good advice. It said, live so as to be missed. Isn't that great? Live your life in a way that will make a difference. It'll make a difference in your children. If it never goes any further than that, that'll be enough to make your life worthwhile. Live so as to be missed. Theodore Roosevelt, he was, for whatever reason, the Rough Riders, he was my, my childhood hero. I read about the Rough Riders, and boy, I thought, man... That Teddy Roosevelt, he is really something, and he was in a lot of ways. But he said, the mother is the one supreme asset of the national life. She is more important by far than the successful statesman or businessman or artist or scientist. He was exactly right. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. There is no one on this earth any more important than mothers. A godly mother has a tremendous influence on the world. And, 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 and this is not just a message for, for our mothers today, but I hope it, there's a message in it for them. That they'll leave here... In the midst of this emergency, this situation that, that we don't understand, 
And believe me, there are folks wondering how are we going to cope, how are we going to pay our bills. and they're wondering what are we going to do how are we going to make it I don't know but God but God but God knows God cares and God can God can you just do what you can the best you can and you trust him to do whatever else needs to be done if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, that is, you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. That is, you don't know you'd go to heaven if you died. Please, please, whatever you do, don't leave here today without settling that matter. It's not something complicated. It's not something that's difficult. Jesus did the difficult part. He died on the cross and shed his blood and paid your sin debt that you could become a child of God. And as a child of God, God is your father. He's not just your creator. He, you know, he made all of us. But when you get saved, he becomes your father. And like the song says, he doesn't have any orphans. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. You seek him first in his kingdom. And he says, I got it covered. I'll take care of the rest. And he's never failed to do that, folks, and he won't fail you either. Let's stand. Father, how thankful we are for those great manifestations of not just your power, but also of your loving concern for us. And we think about this story and this woman and her boys in such great need and how helpless they must have felt and Lord, I pray this morning that, uh, that you'll just speak to our hearts today and people that have various needs in their life and, and those that are here that have never received Christ as their Savior. May your Holy Spirit do a work in their heart and draw them, draw them to the cross where they'll put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have refused to trust you for the times that we have doubted and the times that we've rebelled and the times that we put urgent matters on the back burner as though it was all right to wait until another day god help us to leap into action and to do what we know you've commanded for we beg it in jesus precious name amen